The year 1953, a plane touches down at Smithy's Airport in Sydney. On board is an American named Lee Gordon. The Australian music scene will never be the same again. From then until now, these are the stories. Hey there, this is Josh Ersam and you're listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. This episode is on Dig Richards and the RJs. Our special guests are the band's drummer Leon Isaacson and Dig's younger brother Doug. The other voice you'll hear sometimes is the podcast producer Sheldon. The interviews for this episode originally come from another podcast from Sheldon. It's called All Australian Music Stories. Anyway, we thought we owed it to one of our pioneer rock and roll bands to feature them in an episode of Awesome Aussie Songs. Here's Dig Richards and the RJs. Oh, when you kiss me, did you see? What a kiss has done to me. Baby, I'm a living, loving wreck. Wow, can't you tell by the way I walk? Can't you hear it in my talk? Baby, I'm a living, loving wreck. In the early days of rock and roll, Dig Richards and the RJs were one of the biggest bands in the land. With his movie star good looks, Dig was Australia's very first teenage idol. And with his band the RJs, they were at the forefront of the rock and roll revolution in Australia. They were the first Aussie band to release a full-length album through Festival Records, and as a live act, they were as popular as any local band. They also appeared on many of Lee Gordon's big shows, and they played alongside the touring American superstars, more than holding their own. At a time when the establishment was doing its best to stop this new form of music from taking hold, Dig Richards and the RJs led the way in spreading the gospel of rock and roll. They even had their own television show that was on Channel 7 twice a week, called Teen Time. Sadly, Dig died in 1983. He was just 42 years old. However, his musical legacy lives on, and we hope this episode pays tribute to his contribution to Australian music. He went on to have a successful solo career, recording as Digby Richards, and will release an episode on his solo career in the near future. Dig Richards and the RJs were formed in 1958, when Dig and guitarist John Hayden met by chance at a music shop in Sydney. Here's Leon to take up the story. They were hanging out, and uh, and I think Dig, Dig was trying to sing Bopalina, which is an old Ronnie Self tune. And he was going, oops, goobly doobly 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 And he kept going, John said, no, 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 no. Oops, goobly doobly Lena, go cat, go. Bopalina, bopalina. He went, oh, right. And then they started channeling around and they were both trying out guitars. And they went, and John thought, hey, this guy looks good. You know, he's not much of a guitar player, but I'll get him for the band. Had a great decision. Yeah. Before Leon joined Dig Richards and the RJs, he had already been on some amazing adventures that a young music fan could only dream about. Oh, I think one of the first uh, stadium shows I went to to see Bill Haley live, and that just blew my socks off. And uh, and Freddie Bell and the Bell Boys, some people wouldn't have heard of, but they were just fantastic, you know. And the whole thing just fell into place. I mean, I was already playing, but I'm going, wow. This this is fantastic. And then the next one I saw was uh, Little Richard live, and it was all over. Yeah, once I saw that band, I couldn't believe it. That was just amazing. So to get this caliber of musicians standing out, 
20, 30 foot in front of you. How did that feel to see people that you'd heard on record, Little Richard, Bill Haley, must have been, as you said, just mind-blowing. Ah, well, it was, you know, because we knew all, we had all the records and, and we were hanging off every one of them. And Little Richard especially, we'd never seen an, an electric bass, you know. And when he started coming out playing Lucille, you know, oh, God. And I actually went to the stadium and saw Buddy Rich, who was my idol, you know, and uh, I actually was introduced to him. I'm about a, pff, 13 or what, because yeah, my my big brother or cousin introduced me and I got his autograph and I, I thought, oh, yeah. It was so exciting for, for me as a kid. I, I had this brother, as I said, like a, who was my cousin, and he actually introduced me to Louis Armstrong and his band, you know, in the, in the dressing room. And they made a big fuss of me because I was only about 12 or 13 or something like that, you know. And how's this? You're meeting Louis Armstrong. Were you just gobsmacked? Yeah, no. I, well, actually, I was disappointed that the uh, Barrett Deems, were, uh, the, the drummer, wasn't there. But everybody else was there. And then Louis was up the end. And he sort of poked his head and went, hey, pops. <laughs> you know, and I went, oh, cool. And they, and they made a big fuss out of me. And I, you know, to see these guys in person was just a... Mind-blowing. So your cousin, was he obviously connected? How did he get backstage? Well, yeah, well, he was uh, he was going with Dawn Lake. I don't know if you remember Dawn Lake, but anyway, he was also a bit of a car salesman and all that stuff and nightclubs and he played piano and all that okay. stuff. And somehow he, he knew all these guys and I didn't believe him half the time, you know, because he said, oh, yeah, you've got to come up here. I, I actually know Buddy Rich and I'm going, come on, Ray, you know. How could you know Buddy Rich? And they walk, he, I walk up with him, and Buddy says, Hey, Ray! You know, and I'm going, No, he does know him. Yeah, so, uh, so I was pretty privileged as a kid. The first band that Leon formed was Ray Hoff and the Offbeat. I was just starting a band and, uh, with, with a friend of mine that I'd met, Jimmy Taylor, a piano player, who played with Warren Williams and the Squares. It was another band that was there. And we were looking for a a lead singer, and we went to uh, Johnny O'Keefe's dance at Leichhardt, and this guy got up called Ray Hoff, and he sang all these Eddie Cochran songs, and we went, yeah, and then all the, all the chicks were screaming, and we thought, oh, yeah, he'll do. You found so, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got one. Uh, we went in a talent quest at Johnny Devlin and, and the Devils had at uh, Surreyville, and we won the and we won the thing. Yeah, so tell us about people like Frank Garfield and Johnny Devlin. Well, well, what happened, uh, that was another town hall concert, and it was Johnny Devlin and the Devils, and because we'd won this, uh, you know, the talent contest, we were the support act as well. And being the support act, we had to back whoever was uh, as well. And, and one of the guys was Frank Garfield. That was just before he uh, he went to over to England. And I, I remember Devo and, uh, was a bit taken aback when all the chicks were pulling Ray Hoff off the stage and okay. <laughs> going berserk, you know. Prior to Leon joining the band, Dig Richards and the RJs had already signed to Festival Records and they had released two hit singles, I Wanna Love You. I wanna love you each night Let me say I Love you each night and day This song reached number 8 in 1959. The band's second single, I'm Through, also made the top 40 on the charts. I feel a lot better when I'm far away from you, I 
Both songs are written by Dig's younger brother Doug. Aged just 15 years old at the time he wrote both songs, Doug would have to be one of the youngest songwriters to make the national record charts. Here's Doug's take on writing the songs. Because Digby was sort of doing music at that time, and I was also a musician, even unpublished and unworking anywhere. I worked in schools mostly, you know, as as the kid, the weird kid that used to play guitar and sing. So I decided to write a song. I'm trying to remember. I know it was in 1959, but I can't remember when. Late late 59, I think. Yeah. See, I'd already written another song for for Digby uh, called "I'm Through." I'm through with you, I'm through with you, da 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 and I can't remember that thing, it's not worth remembering. <laughs> Dick Richards and the RJs would achieve a number of firsts that cements their place in music history. They were the first Australian band to release a full-length album, and they also have the honour of being the first band to perform live on the iconic television show Bandstand. Leon wasn't yet a member of the band when they played on Bandstand, and he watched the show at home. Yeah, we, we watched the show when we were rehearsing away with Ray off and the offbeats, and we said, look, even these guys can get on television. And, uh, and, and Barry Lewis, the, the drummer, had even had a, had a big sign in front of his bass drum saying, for bookings, please ring this number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that gave us more encouragement to keep going with Ray off and the offbeats. And I, like, I, I didn't think at the time I was going to be joining Dig Richards and the RJs. After Ray Hoff and the Offbeats had supported Dig and the RJs at a gig, the Offbeats drummer obviously impressed, and it wasn't long before Leon was asked to join one of the biggest bands in the land. While I was in Ray Hoff and the Offbeats, we did a support act for Dig Richards and the RJs out at Parramatta, and a few weeks after that, the bass player Peter Baker rang me up and said, do you want to join Dig Richards and the RJs? I went, oh, okay. Uh, I, I look, I don't know who. I wasn't too sure because I said, oh, well, look, you know, Ray Hoff and the Offbeats are going pretty well. And he said, yeah, well, look, just do a week with us because, you know, and if you like it. So the first thing I did was Teen Time and they had all these shows. They had dances every night. Those early days, especially then when I, you know, started playing with Dig, I mean, there there were only five bands and, you know, as I said, Johnny O'Keefe, Cold Joy, Johnny Devlin, Johnny Reb and the Rebels, another good band, and Dig Richards and the RJs, and they were called the Big Five. And if you're in the Big Five, well, it, the game was on, you know. It, it, it was... Uh, and so you get a phone call to, to join one of these bands in the yeah, Big Five. Yeah, yeah. I got, I'm yeah. going to join one of the Big Five, and I went, wow. And... At the time, I, I remember when I when I joined the band, I mean, I, I had, a, had a day job as well. I was working at APRA, and I was getting eight pounds, seven and sixpence or something a week. And the first week I worked with Dio, I got 127 pounds ten. It was like unbelievable. So I said, yeah, bugger this, I'm going to be a rock star. <laughs> Leon agreed to join Dig Riches and the RJs. However, before he could take up the job, 
Teague was involved in a serious car accident on the Harbour Bridge. Teague was driving with RJ's piano player Jay Bogey in the passenger seat. Not realising the traffic had stopped, they ran into the back of a stationary truck. The two musicians were lucky to survive. Here's Doug Richards talking about the crash. Digby was just about to uh, was about to about to do a um, stadium show with uh, Fabian, I think it was. Oh yeah, I think it was Fabian. Um, I mean, I'm stretching my memory. I haven't got Leon's book to go by, <laughs> but I think it was Fabian, and um, and he managed to run up the back of a truck because the lighting the lighting on the Sydney Harbour Bridge was not that flash in those days. And um, this truck had decided to stop in the lane. And, of course, if you're conversa- having a conversation with people and turning your head, you don't even notice that the thing hasn't moved in front of you. And you just run into it, you know, and that's what he did. He ran up under the truck and uh, Jay Boogie, Boogie broke his jaw, I think, and uh, Dig's piano player. And Digby uh, had a big cut down the side of his head, which is fine, but he's... Um, He's driving a Morris Minor at the time, so there's not a lot of room for movement. Uh, and he rammed his femur up through the joint in his um, in his hip. So that wasn't really thrilling. You know, it wasn't too good. So obviously he didn't get to do that stadium show. He was very lucky to survive, particularly as he was driving, and they didn't have collapsible steering wheels in those days. <laughs> they uh, They tended to go straight through you if you pushed them too hard. If you remember the old days of steering wheels and steering columns, was like an iron shaft pointing at your chest. With Dig and Jay Bogey now on the mend, the band got back on the road. For Leon, things certainly changed for him now that he was the drummer in one of the most popular bands in Australia. From watching them play on bandstand, Leon's first gig with the band was playing live on the Burt Newton television show in Melbourne. We went down to, uh, was it GTV9? And funnily enough, it was the Burt Newton show but Bert was sick or he was off doing something and Frankie Davidson was filling in for him. Another so, legendary Aussie. Yeah, yep. yeah. So he was the compare. And so we, we, were, we were treated like big rock stars in, in Melbourne, you know, except uh, some of the crew on the show, I remember, you know, they, or, or, or the, the, the resident band, they'd be looking at us and going, who are these guys like from Sydney? How dare they, you know? <laughs> yep. Because they were the jazzers as well, you know, so they didn't want to. So two reasons they didn't like you. One, you're from Sydney and then you're also a rock and roller. Yeah, a rock and roll band. But, I mean, the the chicks just went wild about, you know, over Dig. And uh, so we used to come back and do a whole lot of stuff in Melbourne. Dig was always pretty big in Melbourne. Leon's first concert with Dig Richards and the RJs was at Newcastle Stadium. As you could imagine, a serious car accident involving the biggest teen idol of the times created major headlines. The media storm about the initial smash and Dig's subsequent recovery was big news, and by the time the band was ready to hit the stage, the crowd went ballistic. Oh, sure, well, I mean, after all the publicity of his, uh, you know, crash on the Harbour Bridge, and as he came out on his crutches, they all just went mad. I mean, I actually felt tears welling up in my own eyes, and they were like, you know, they just went berserk, and we, we just stole the show. Even though Cold Joy and the Joy Boys were the stars of the show, that particular night, you know, Dig just, oh, they went berserk for Dig. Rock and roll was creating a frenzy amongst teenage fans, and any singer or band member was fair game to be set upon, often ripping their clothes to shreds. The, the crowd was louder than the band, you know, and, you, and you'd run down and, and they'd have police 
corridors and police would have to cordon off the crowd so you could get off the stage. And because if the kids got hold of you, what would they have done? Oh, to you? they'd rip your clothes off, you know. And uh, you know, where the first you know times I was playing with Dig, we, I remember we had all these these blue coats with gold buttons, and uh, and I got mobbed, and they and I came, they took all of every button off my coat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they nearly strangled me with my tie. They got that as well. Yeah, they were funny times. The early years of Australian rock and roll was hampered by the lack of any decent recording equipment. Signed to Festival Records, Dig Riches and the RJs were one of the bands that suffered the most. The band's live show was vastly superior to any of their earlier releases. Here is Leon's experience, highlighting how unrock and roll the festival bosses could be, and why the recording suffered through a lack of quality or care. Well, it was. I mean, it was disappointing for me when I found out that I went in there and they said, oh, no, you, you, you can't use the bass drum. What? You can't, oh, no, we can't record that. Now it goes boom, boom, and, you know, and all the needles go. I thought, oh, that's awful. And then they'd be, and then I'd be playing away and they go, oh, no, that's a bit loud. Look, play on this phone book or something, you know, and I'd be going, this is ridiculous. But at the time, you know, I mean, we got to be able to uh, fix it up a bit, but because we were kids, we were just told what to do. And it wasn't until later on when I was playing with that Keith, which was the, the difference because he told them. Festival, they, they did, again, they did you no know, favours. They gave you songs such as Anne Laurie and You Are My Sunshine, hardly the stuff of rock and roll dreams. No, I know. Well, I mean, Ken Taylor and Robert Iredell, I don't think they really liked rock and roll at all. And they were trying to get us to do other stuff. And it goes, Annie Laurie, God, that was one of the first ones I did with Dig. And we, we had to do it because Ken Taylor had written it out and Ken Taylor was going to get the royalties as a composer. So we did the, this ridiculous song, you know, and we followed all the instructions because we did as we were told. And we played this ridiculous thing and thought, well, once they hear it, they'll realise it's ri- ridiculous. And, yeah. they, and then they heard it they said, yeah, that's great, boys. Oh, just what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Maxwell took his razor bonnie Went early for the dew It was there that Annie Laurie She gave me her promise true Gave me her promise true Which never forgot will be And for Bonnie Annie Laurie Why I'd lay me down and deep Now you've heard the story Of Bonnie Annie Laurie Here's the final chapter If you'll permit me to adapt her Those Scottish cats They're swinging Why they're swinging In that glen Oh the thatch Annie Laurie, she just can't remember when. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a few odd things that we did with Dig that weren't too bad, but, I mean, the, the material we got given it was uh, pretty hopeless stuff. The only time that I enjoyed doing one was Dee Dee Darling, and I don't think it was even a hit. 
wish you could stay in my arms, but I know, sweetheart, Dee -dee darling, Dee -dee darling. if you are late getting home, it just wouldn't be smart. Dee -dee darling, Dee -dee darling. Wish you were mine, only mine. Wished it right from the start. Wish we were one now and nothing could tear us apart. Oh, I wish and wish, Dee Dee darling, wish all the time. If you wish them to Hummer, hummer, hummer Wish you were wearing my ring Wish you were my bride Dee -dee 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 Wish I could spend every night Just a-hugging you tight Dee -dee 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 You just don't know how I wish Wish I may, wish I might Wish I could steal you away Wish you'd give me the But that was great because O'Keefe came in and, and sort of took over and said, this is what we, we want, and told the, the engineers, you know, what they had to do rather than the engineers telling us what they want to do. But, I mean, if it wasn't for John, man, the, you know, half the people wouldn't have existed in those days, you know. And do you think he gets his due? I hope so. I hope so. You know, they say he was the, the father of rock and roll in Australia. And why not? If it, were, if it hadn't been for Jock, you know, a lot of these people wouldn't have had careers at all, you know. And uh, and he understood rock and roll. I, even when we were recording with him, the difference between between doing it with Dig when we're kids and doing it as we're told, you know, we'd finish some track and R Robert Isledale would say, Oh, John, it sounds a bit noisy. And our Keith would say, Of course it's noisy, it's fucking rock and roll. Leon's pranks on his bandmates did cause the studio bosses at Festival a few nervous moments from time to time. One prank became the stuff of legends. It involved Leon, a firecracker, and RJ's sax player, Dave Cross. I know, I know. Oh, God, thanks you bringing that up. Well, well, Dave was just new in the band. Uh, they decided they wanted a sax player for all these, all these horrible old Daisy-type tunes that, that, that we had to play for people, you know. So we had Dave in there, and I had one of those big crackers, and I just showed it to John. I said, "What about this?" And anyway, Dave was playing all these. Uh, it was the old Errol Garner or whatever he's playing all this vibrato saxophone and playing it. And of course, Ken Taylor and Robert Idol were saying, "Oh, how wonderful that sounds! Oh, that's beautiful, Dave." Yes, and I put a big, big cracker down the bell of his saxophone. <laughs> Boom! The whole. The whole studio filled with bits of red paper and <laughs> smoke. And we thought we were going to get the sack. But everyone just started laughing. And even even Ken Taylor, they, they, they all started laughing, you know. And, uh, so anyway, we, 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 were, we were dismissed and sent to lunch. <laughs> and what was Dave's thoughts on this? Uh, well, Dave was quite of a funny guy, but what made it hard for Dave was that he, he had the the thing around his neck that, you know, the, the strap that holds the uh, the saxophone, and he was trying to push the saxophone away. He was strangling himself. No, he, he had a good sense of humour, Dave Cross. In all fairness to festival's recording engineer Robert Idale, rock and roll was brand new to Australia, 
And just like the musicians who were learning on the run, so too was Iredale. It's a, so it's amazing that anything did come out any good, you know, from festival records, but it was the only game in town. It was the only studio. And, of course, it did get better. And, I mean, I, in all fairness to Robert Iredale, I mean, he did try and keep the the, uh, the the technology up to date as possible, but we were always going to be a couple of years behind the Americans or the Poms, you know, you know recording techniques. And also, I mean, he was a bit on his own in, in all that, Sitting behind there at the desk, there was nobody else who knew. Yeah, exactly. knew bugger all about the what mics to use and what to use, and and Robert had all these things where he could he could slow the tape down if if the song was in the wrong key, <laughs> he'd slow it down so the singer would go oh, and he get the right note, and then he'd stick it back up again. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. He had lead weights that he put on the on the reels that went round to slow the thing down. So he was learning on the run like you yeah, guys were. Yeah, so he put something down half a tone. Television played a major role in making Dig and the band genuine rock stars. While most acts had to be satisfied with making appearances on Bandstand or 6 O'Clock Rock, Dig, Riches and the RJs were the house band for Channel 7's music-based show, Teen Time. Like rock and roll, TV was also new to Australia, and the television producers were flying by the seats of their pants. Teen Time was filmed live and it aired twice a week. The show beamed the band into lounge rooms across the country. But but the whole thing was was live, so anything could happen. You know, things people knocked chords out and bumped in, and, and, and instruments fell off the rostrum, and and uh, I think my bass drum rolled off once <laughs> down during a while of take. And you know, but you, you just keep rolling on and, and smiling. TV can certainly create some memorable moments. One of the RJ's sax players was Ron Patton, who was well known for his explosive temper. During filming of an episode of Teen Time, a young fan knocked over Ron's music stand, and it was live television at its very best. Yeah, that's right. He had all these flutes and, and saxophones all on it, and, and somebody kicked it over. And Ron's got a big close-up of him playing, playing, the solo, playing a sax solo. And he sees this kid knock this kid out and he goes, he stops playing and starts choking. <laughs> and he, the camera had to go to somebody else, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit of live TV, that was pretty good. Well, that'd be a YouTube sensation these days. Oh, no, so they'd go around the world. if they had kept the camera rolling while he was choking all these young kids. <laughs> Dick Richards and the RJs were also pioneers in playing live outdoor concerts once drawing a crowd of over 15,000 people at the Maya Music Bowl in Melbourne. That was a bigger bigger deal than the stadium, really. That was, uh, the, you know, for, for us, that was one of the biggest shows we ever did. And years later, of course, um, those shows just got bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, so it was no big deal. Well, it was a big deal then. Yeah, 15,000 people, as you said, then yeah. was amazing. Yeah, it was a big deal. That was more than they could fit in the stadium, you know, and they're all going berserk and, and, and screaming louder than the band. Tamworth is known as the home of country music in Australia. However, when Dig Riches and the RJs arrived in the town in 1959, the kids went crazy and camped outside the band's hotel and literally blocked off the main street for a couple of days. The band's mere presence created pandemonium amongst the town's teenagers. Yeah, oh look, I, I regularly go to Tamworth um, every year with Lonnie Lee, uh, you know, in uh, in January, and I, I told that story to a few of the guys, you know, and they sort of don't really believe you. You know, you think, yeah, we're up in this hotel and we're waving like the Queen, you know. Uh, <laughs> 
to all the people in the street and they just clogged the street because they'd never seen a live band ever. Incredible. This was in 1959. We went up there. We took Jimmy Little, Warren Williams and Barry Stanton. They were our support acts. And then, yeah, and then Dig. And uh, we actually flew up in in an old, uh, what were those things called? Oh, a fucker. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it was some, I knew it was some sort of fucker. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they went berserk. Uh, well, look, all those country shows we used to do, uh, most places we used to play, we'd never seen a live band before. If they'd seen it on television, well, they didn't even have television, half of them. But, and the only other, other people I should mention, though, that they may have seen in those days was, was Slim Dusty, you know, and they'd all turn up. In fact, there were some towns we'd go in and they would say, how come we didn't get any people? And they said, ah, oh, Slim Dusty was here last week <laughs> and everybody spent their money. <laughs> Festival Records employed the RJs to become the studio's house band and they backed many and varied recording artists of the day. Some were huge hits and others not so successful. And of course, we ended up being the staff recording band, the RJs, or yep. Festival, so whoever came in the place... We had to back them, you know, and we had to learn songs really quickly. Well, we had to learn songs really quickly at teen time as well. Somebody would come on and say, we're going to do this, and nobody had charts in those days. They might have had a chord chart maybe. but So they'd give you the record and you'd have to learn yeah, the record. Yeah, and we'd, we'd have one listen, we'd play it, we'd have one more listen, we'd play it. That was it. That was it. All at Rehearsal over. But it was great training because uh, we just – were able to learn things so quickly, you know, uh, no mucking around. I mean, it wasn't until years later when I, I couldn't believe how long it took some of these bands to learn these, <laughs> to learn some song or whatever. They played on Nolene Batley's number one hit, Barefoot Boy. This became the first pop song by a female Australian to make number one on the charts. Barefoot Boy Sitting by the roadside, barefoot boy When you say hello with eyes that smile And lips that bring forth laughter Barefoot boy, I love you so Barefoot boy, I love you, love you Barefoot boy, I love you so By the end of 1962, Dig, Richards and the RJs went their separate ways. Well, sort of. Dig would go solo and now be known as Digby Richards. The RJs would become the Rajas and continue to be the house recording band for festival records. They also released singles in their own right, and they went on to become Johnny O'Keefe's backing band. We'll have future episodes on Digby's solo career as well as the Rajas. The song we'll finish the episode with is a version of Live and Love and Wreck, a song written by Otis Blackwell. It was released in 1964 and was credited as a solo release by Dig. However, he is backed by his old band, the RJs, and the song is a great example as to how good a band they truly were. Okay, that's enough of the talk. Here's Livin' Love and Wreck by Dig Richards and the RJs. In my talk, 
tail of anything. All I seem to hear are bells and a birdie sing. Although I don't feel no pain, something's happening just the same. Thanks for listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. Thanks to Leon and Doug for your time, and thanks to Diggy Richards and the RJs for the music. Hi, this is Molly. You've just listened to a podcast brought to you by Marcos Promotions, written and produced by my dad, Sheldon the Kangaroo Kip. And presented by Josh Urson. This is Molly Kidd saying to my good friend, Holly Kirsten, Hit it, girl! Just stop it.